Hi, I'm Dr. Jim, and uh, or Dr. G, or whatever is comfortable for you and the rest of the world. Um, Beverly Hills Shrink, we've been sitting around here for a while, and I'm doing the podcast because there's a lot of stuff going on right now in the world, a lot of stress uh, that we're all feeling and exhibiting, and so we thought we'd do some podcasting to kind of address some of those issues. Um, so I'd like to help you help yourselves. And I'd like to figure out how we can do some of these things that we're, everybody keeps talking about how today, 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 we want to be back to normal. It's not going to be normal. There's always going to be something new and different going on now. Uh, when we stop, you know, if we are lucky enough to get the things stop with the um, uh, COVID, we're still, things are going to be different. We've changed things. Many of us are working out of our homes that we weren't working out of before. I'm sitting here in my personal office rather than my office in Beverly Hills, even though I'm still paying the rent over there. So I hope that we can kind of help you uh, sort things out and you find some things out for yourselves. You have a lot more strength sometimes than we think we do. It's during times like this that we really start to realize um, how powerful we can be and what we need to do to get things to work right and what we need to do to get ourselves in a, in a better spot. Um, we'll probably do this weekly for a while, maybe bi-weekly. We'll see how the life goes on. Um, uh, we're going to have, we have an Instagram site. We have uh, Twitter and Facebook. And uh, along the bottom of the screen here, eventually, it should show you the links for Twitter, uh, for IG, and for Facebook. Um, I've been in the field for a number of years. This was not something I had ever really planned on doing. I would have to acknowledge that. Um, and it ended up working out okay. And uh, I was originally going into another field, primarily business and somewhat into orthodontics, which were fascinating to me. And for different reasons, I ended up here. In psychotherapy, I ended up, uh, you know, teaching, back to teaching at the university. And I love it now, and I enjoy it. And I'm getting towards the end of the run, and so I want to do some more things and share some more time with people. Um, I'm a domestic violence and anger management counselor for the courts, too. or I run court-ordered groups, which is sort of interesting because these people never feel like they've ever done anything wrong. Ever, 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 ever. And they call up and they're like, oh, I'm the nicest guy you've ever met. Um, it's not my fault, it's her fault. Uh, or as they put it, it's the bitch's fault. Uh, it's the cop's fault, it's the law's fault. I didn't do anything wrong. And when you meet me, you'll know that I'm, I'm a great person. And I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, but still was your reaction to the person. You made some mistakes and you should have realized you'd reached your limit. Um, anger management, the same sort of thing. Uh, being in beautiful downtown Beverly Hills, um, as Johnny Carson used to talk about, beautiful downtown Burbank, um, we do have to realize that I'm not dealing with the regular criminals. We're dealing with uh, attorneys in my groups. I've got doctors. We've got entertainment people. And we have common folks like you, myself, and the rest of the world, too. Um, but what you start realizing in the group, which was brought up the other night in my group, uh, somebody came up and said, wow, you know, it's kind of interesting that I'm sitting in the group now and I realize that these people in here, some of them have lots of money, some of them have lots of things going on, 
and they're here too, so it's not just me. And I'm like, yep, that's part of group processes to realize what's going on. Um, you know, as I say, I've I've been a shrink there for a while. I've worked uh, hard with a number of people in entertainment. Um, I feel successful with a lot of things without being arrogant. Uh, I try to be humble about uh, what I've done and what I've accomplished. Um, I say part of that is, you know, when you have five attempts on your life as I've had from the first time when I was helping out at the state hospital back when I was 19 and somebody tried to strangle me until the last one that tried to strangle me recently in the office. Not recently, it was about nine years ago. But I've had uh, two strangulations, uh, one attempt with a gun, one attempt to blow my car up, and one that wasn't sure what he was going to do. But I put myself out there, and I'm okay with that. you know. And if you don't put yourself out and do anything, no one's going to really notice. There's people that just kind of fit in the background and just say, you know, they're just kind of there, miles and mosey along. I can't do that. You know, it helps to define yourself. I call myself intensely mellow. I can be very intense. I can yell at people. I can do whatever. Or I can calm down and be very mellow. That's one reason why I like Los Angeles, because I call it intensely mellow. I come from New York and New Jersey, the Jersey Shore. There we were intense. You know, if you know New York City, there's not a whole lot of quiet time in New York City. You can find restaurants at 3 in the morning and pre-COVID. I mean, there was stuff happening all the time. Whereas in L.A., there's parts of L.A. that are intense all the time, and there's parts of an L.A. that are pretty mellow. And I can be to the mountains. I can be to the ocean. I can be to the desert. I can be to the snow in the winter. Um, so it's kind of cool. We'll talk a little bit about the books, too. I've written a number of books over the years. Uh, they're what we call self-published on Amazon. Um, you got to remember a lot of times when, when we write a book, it's um, therapy for us without realizing it. Uh, one of the books I'm working on right now, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the books I'm working on right now is called um, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Anger. I grew up as a little kid, they say, across the river from New York City and New Jersey on the shore. I thought everybody had a beach two houses away from them, which we did on the bay. Uh, we were five miles away from Sandy Hook, where we could go swimming in the ocean. Uh, we could run across the bay to New York City and be there to go shopping and do whatever we wanted. Uh, it was kind of cool. We weren't rich. We were middle-class people, but it just happened to work out well. Um, I didn't realize at the time that um, I was kind of connected to my mother in an emotional incest way. So that's what the book called Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Anger is about. Um, it's coming out pretty soon. And it's about somebody who hooks up with the family, um, you know, to make a short story long. Uh, my mother's father uh, rejected the family and left when she was born. And consequently, um, you know, she didn't have a dad around. And this was back in the 19... 20s and, and, you know, 30s, and she would write him, like, you know, little girls are pretty good about writing Christmas cards and drawing pictures for Dad, and, you know, because he was paying the bills, and he was, you know, palimony, doing the palimony routine, but he was had moved out west to Long Beach, and they were still in New Jersey, so she would write these things and write these beautiful little cards and send them for Christmas and birthdays and whatever. 
And when she was about 19, she got a family relative. And you remember, this was back in the 20s um, and early 30s. Um, people were not adult until they were 21. Uh, now we're 18 and, 20, and, and adults. But she finally got a, a, one of her relatives, a cousin, to hop in the car and drive all the way to Long Beach. And she drove out because she wanted to see her father. And she had this great fantasy of what her father was like and that she knew he was just missing her and couldn't wait for her to arrive, okay? So she gets out to Long Beach with her cousin. They drive up to the house because she had the address because of the palimony and that's where she'd been sending all those cards and that for all those years. And she walks up to the door and knock, knock, knock. And uh, he opens the door. And she said, hi. She said, uh, his name was Bill. And she said, uh, I'm your daughter. I'm your daughter, Marion. I'm the one that's been sending you all the Christmas cards and, and the little notes. I'm so happy to see you. And he took one look at her and he said, get away. You are dead in my life. I have had nothing to do with you except to pay that asshole mother of yours to take care of you all these years. When you're 21, you're done, I'm done with you, and I never want to hear about you. And you either leave right now or I'm going to call the police. Hmm, maybe you're not all therapists, so you may not have figured out. She was shocked. Uh, but, yeah, she was upset. She was devastated to go 3,000 miles to see her father and be treated that way. So she eventually worked her way back to New Jersey to her mom's. And Freud sometimes is more right than other times. And this would be one of those where I would have to acknowledge that nature and nurture has a lot to do with things, as Freud always talked about. So what does she do? She marries a man who's a bit older than she. That is in my father, okay? My father was mature. My father was a basically a Mensa-type guy. He did a lot of stuff in World War II for the Army Air Corps and things like that. Um, they were 15 years age difference, but he was a very mature, very mellow person. His idea of a fun evening, other than drinking sometimes, was to read a book. Uh, my mother tried out for the Rockettes and had danced around New York City and done all sorts of things. And hell, when I, as far as I know, she was still roller skating when she was 70, all right? So she was perky, attractive, and he was a handsome gentleman um, and very reserved. So what did she do? She basically married a father, maybe not her father, but a father. And I can tell you growing up, the two of them had some of the most horrible fights that had a lot to do with more mom and dad. I mean, mom, excuse me, dad and daughter than it did uh, husband and wife. And then she had a child, as in me. And now she had something that, as she put it often, I had a child so that I could have something to love and that would love me forever. When I was teaching school for a while and was working at the junior high school, I got shaken one day with this young girl who was about 13 or 14, and she was fooling around with this other kid, and he was 15, and they were playing around in the playground. And I called her in, I said, Karen, 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 I said, 
you know, I was acting principal often, and I said, do me a favor. I said, be careful. I said, you do know that you could get pregnant. And, you know, you're, you're taking some chances with him. And she started crying. And she said, yes, I know it. But she said, you know, if I had a kid, I'd have something that I could love forever and ever. And it would love me forever. And I thought, oh, my God, I've heard that before. And many other times and other people over time. So the book that I wrote is kind of heavy duty for me. It's about how you go through life and... It took a while for me to find the liberty. I didn't divorce my mother until I was 34 and realized that, you know what? I need to move away from this. I really, really, really do. And so I divorced my mother and moved into, uh, moved on onto my own life at that time. It was pretty cool, uh, but it was scary. And then I didn't realize for the next 20-some years or so, uh, I'm a lot older than that now, but, you know, as I was growing up, and I kept thinking, there's a lot of things that I get mad at, and I realized that some of it was because I was never a little boy. And in that book, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Anger, I mentioned the fact that I was an adult from the time I was six, okay? So the books do different things. I have a book, also, Celebrity Shrink 90210. It's about the people I've worked with in Beverly Hills, celebrity, entertainment people, etc., I have a book called Grief and Loss that I did with Betty DeGeneres. Uh, she was losing her sister to cancer, her older sister. And we sat here at a restaurant and talked about what grief and loss was all about and all these heavy-duty things. And we put it together. She edited it. I wrote it. She also had asked me primarily because she knew that one of my first jobs in 1985 was I got involved um, with the uh, AIDS testing site in L.A. that eventually fed a lot of information to the CDC and the Fauci and other group back on the East Coast um, who were trying to figure out where the coronavirus called HIV, originally called HTLV3, where it was coming from, how people were getting it, what was going on. So we, we really did a lot of testing. Uh, New York City was about 85 to 90 percent positive in the gay and lesbian community. San Francisco was probably about 60% at the time. LA, we were only about 20, 25%. So we were able to get a lot of anecdotals. This was 1985 to 90. We were able to ask people, how did you do this? Where did you do this? What did you do? Did you ever this, this, this? And just as I'm feeling some PTSD during the COVID times, where I'm sitting here frustrated because we're not 100% sure where this is going, how everybody gets it, whatever. We were in that spot. When I first started working at the AIDS clinic, we were actually not sure where that COVID virus was coming from. We all wore masks. We had people coming in that were wearing uh, plastic uh, trash bags because they were, you know, over their heads with holes cut for their eyes because they didn't want anybody to see them. They didn't want to get any viruses. We were under the impression at that point that you could get AIDS, the coronavirus at that time, by tears, by sweat, by kissing. That was everywhere. When I first started working at the at the clinic, the AIDS clinic uh, in Hollywood there on Highland Avenue, many people know that place, we actually went through, oh wow, about 50,000 test results when I was working there, the three of us that were doing it. Um, 
I was there for five and a half years. But when I first started, because we didn't know, as I said, that's where the PTSD hits me, is that people were assuming that, you know, that the virus was available in saliva and tears, in sneezing, you name it. They would come into the clinic to test, and there were people with, you know, trash bags over them with little eyes open to protect themselves. We had people coming in throwing acid at our clerks. We had a number of bomb threats, but we didn't know. And we're in that same sort of spot with COVID. There's some big differences. The difference with the... the uh, AIDS thing was we were able to figure out that it was strictly in the white cells of blood and semen. So it was not the problem that uh, uh, the COVID virus is that it's in everywhere. And it's very disturbing, very difficult. But so, you know, my friend Betty and I, you know, I, I dealt with telling, you know, I'm sitting there as close as we are probably on the camera talking to you now where I'm sitting there with somebody coming in. One of my roughest ones was a Saturday afternoon where a lady comes in with her four-year-old kid and the little child sitting over on the side. Uh, sweet little kid, everything's fine. He's perky. And um, he got a transfusion at birth that had the virus in it and the AIDS virus. And, you know, his tests was, were bad. Things were rough. And mom's like... You know, is he going to be okay? I'm like, no. In those days, we didn't have any medications. We didn't have anything to prolong things, basically. And the poor kid might have six months, you know, and that's it. And then I got to tell a 38-year-old drug addict that I knew from a rocker club up on Sunset that he was fine, even though he had track marks on his arms like mad, you know. Um, I kind of learned about... I'm not God. You know, one of the things I teach in my anger management groups and that is you have to realize you're mortal. Then you're mortal, I'm mortal, we're all mortal. We have to realize that. And I can only do so much. I would have loved to have been able to trade that test result for that one to that one so that the mom could go home with their kid and everything was going to be fine. But it wasn't. And sure enough, he was gone in about seven months. She called me. Um, got a, another book about the, the, the grief and loss book is, is available on uh, audio and it's also Kindle and in hardback. Then I've got another one, Nine Steps to a Better Life. Teaching at the university, I have young people around. I'm learning a lot more about childhood. This goes back again to my life, liberty, and pursuit of anger one. Um, you know, I'm enjoying my youth more. You know, it's never too late, by the way, for a happy childhood. Remember that. And for those of us that didn't have one, um, I had grandparents that were, you know, my grandfathers were dead. Uh, my two grandmothers, the one grandmother, um, had heart, what they called hardening of the arteries to the brain those days, but today it would be Alzheimer's. She didn't know who the hell I was. That was my mother's mother. And then the, then the other grandmother I had pushed me off her knee when I was five. You know, all these years later, I'm sitting there remembering that. But I remember her pushing me off and saying, no, you have blue eyes. My side of the family doesn't. They're all brown eyes, so get away. I'm like, oh, man, you know. So I didn't have grandparents. I didn't have aunts and uncles except for one uncle that I loved dearly, but he died when I was 12. And then my aunt, I didn't see her a lot for the next 50 years until I ran back into her, um, you know, when when I was, gosh, in my 
my 60s, okay, and she just died last year at 100. Um, we, we bring things with us. It's what makes the books work and whatever. And so the grief and loss book, we were able to do a great job on that, I think, and, and deal with feelings. There's no answer to get over your grief and loss real quickly other than process it out and feel it. The Nine Steps to a Better Life book, they say part of my thing there is, you know, there's things you need to do. Part of it is to become your own healthy parent. Make the decisions inside of you that, you know, are based on good decisions and, and good ways of doing things. And that's very, very, very important. Um, that's why it took me a long time to finally decide that I needed to divorce my mother. It was like, okay, I, I've got to move on. I've got to move out of here, which I did. And I'm happy. And then I got involved with the teaching with the students. And do you know how cool it is to be an old guy, an old fart like I am, and have, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old college students coming up um, I teach at Mount St. Mary's University, which is an all-girls Catholic school in Brentwood and downtown. Um, and they'll come up and they're like, Dr. G, Dr. G, I need your opinion on this. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? It's kind of cool. Um, it gives me inspiration for living. It makes me feel I'm humbled that they come and ask. I'm really impressed that they do. Okay. I've been lucky to, uh, sorry, looking at some things here real quickly, but I got to tell you, I've been very lucky. If you would have told me, if you would have told me when I was running around on the Jersey Shore that I was going to end up in, in beautiful downtown Beverly Hills or living in West Hollywood or dealing with entertainment people, I wouldn't have believed it. It wasn't the goal. And, and today I'm still humbled by it. Let me tell you, there's times when I get out of the office in Beverly Hills and I look outside the car and I'm thinking son of a gun there's people all over the world that spend a lot of money to come here to see Beverly Hills to go up on Rodeo Drive and go shopping at Jimmy Choo and Tiffany and all that to eat at some of the restaurants it's kind of cool and I'm here so instead of being stuck up about it instead of being an arrogant SOB which I could easily be that way I'm thinking this was nice. This is a nice privilege. I've helped some people, a couple of entertainment people uh, deal with things, one dealing with her sexuality and getting a new show when was told, go away, we don't want you anymore. I've helped um, one studio president said to me one time, he said, you know, thanks to you, I just was able to make a contract between a TV show and a movie at the same time. And he said, I was getting really nervous about it, and he was the president of the studio in the neighborhood there, and he said, I went, I was getting nervous about who I was going to deal with. How was this going to go? Should I talk to the studio, the movie guy, or should I talk to the TV guy? And he said, Doc, you've always said in, in our groups and that, take a break, take a time out, chill, take care of yourself, meditate, do whatever. And he said, I did. I went for a walk in the park. He said, I took a 45-minute lunch. I told everybody, don't bother me for the next 45 minutes. I turned my phone off. And he said, when I went back in, I was able to handle both contracts. And I signed them both. I was very, very, very happy to do that. And he said, those things are kind of cool. So I feel good about that. Yeah, you know what? I was in, in a zombie movie. My friend Drew was the original Irish Spring guy back, if you remember, Irish Spring Soap, 
and uh, he did this zombie movie. Well, I got to play the role of a zombie therapist in in a group for financial people for bankers. I did that. That was kind of cool. I've been on TV. It was on TV shows, live TV in the 90s. I did a lot of talk shows. I was even on CNN. Um, that's cool. I like that. Uh, I've appreciated it. It's part of my prayers. I hope you all, you know, whether you're religious or not religious, have some ideas of what you thank, are thankful for. And one of mine is that the number of wonderful people I've met out here, the people that I've dealt with in different things, the, the stuff I've done that people would love to do. Take a look and appreciate what you've got. It's very important. You know, I have a list in my, uh, on my computer, a list of things that, you know, I'm grateful for, okay? And it's very important to realize that, you know, there's a lot of things I've done. I've helped a bunch of people and pretty much helped myself. So thanks for listening to things, and I hope we keep in touch. And uh, until next time, you know, uh, just keep rolling. Be safe uh, right now. Be careful. Those are more important than pretty much any quotes that we could come up with at the moment. Take care of you and find the you in you when you're looking at yourself like Mr. Rogers used to say. Not the fancy outfit you got on, not the expensive watch you got on, which I don't have a watch on, but <laughs> any of those things, but it's the you in you that people like. And be safe, take care, catch you next time.